When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Sam Bankman-Fried just can't stop talking. We go through his latest account of FTX's downfall just as the company recovers billions of dollars in assets. We'll be joined live by Bill Barheit, the CEO of crypto services company Abra. And we're going to talk about FTX, DCG, Bitcoin bonds, and the wider market. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. My name is Marco Oliveira. Let's jump into the latest price action. So macro is a big driving factor today. The latest U.S. CPI data shows prices fell 0.1% in December on an annual basis. Headline CPI rose 6.5%, while core CPI increased 5.7%. That was the smallest annual increase since October 2021. Bitcoin is responding as expected. You know, lately, whenever inflation softens, Bitcoin enjoys a bounce. Bitcoin is trading above 18,000 for the first time in a month. It's up some four and a half percentage points on a 24 hour basis. A similar story for Ethereum. It breached 1400 for the first time since November. It's pared down a little, but remains up nearly 5% on the day. We're also looking at Avalanche, the native or AVAX, the native token of layer one Avalanche blockchain. AVAX is up 20% on a 24 hour basis to 15 dollars that's following the news that avalanche creators ava labs have partnered with amazon web services to help scale blockchain adoption and the final token we're looking at today is bitcoin sv it's up five percent on the day after a big fall yesterday the payments focused offshoot of bitcoin will be delisted by Robinhood. bitcoin sv used to be in the top 15 of the biggest cryptocurrencies but its market cap has fallen to around 50. Well, with that said, let's bring in our guest, Bill Barheit. He's the CEO of Abra, a crypto financial services company. Welcome back to Real Vision Crypto, Bill. Hey, Marco. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. Um, well, in the interest of full transparency, Abra is an advertiser on, on Real Vision. So I just want to you know, point that out for our viewers. Um, I do. So I want to start talking about with the, the CPI. We just mentioned those numbers there. Um, our friend Jim Bianco, who's a friend of the show, he had uh, put out a tweet the other day. He was saying uh, the graphic below shows the consensus outlook for December 2022. Month over month, CPI is negative 0.1%, dot, 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 deflation. Deflation is expected and already priced in. And Bill, I was actually taking a look at your Money Talks episode. You have, a, you guys have a podcast uh, with Abra, and I, I'm not sure. I think it was a few months ago, but you had mentioned deflation was one of the risks that you were seeing. I'm curious if your view has stayed the same, and how you guys are looking, or how you are looking at, you know, the Fed, CPI, inflation, and all that jazz. Sure, I, I, deflation is, is is my base case right now. I think we're heading in that direction. I think in, in remember the 6.1 or 6.5, whatever it is, that, that's trailing, right? So that's the past. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about today and the future. 
And I think that the Fed is overshooting. They've overshot uh, fastest credit tightening in history. I think that um, if you look at the historical guidance from the Fed, the reality versus their guidance is wrong 100% of the time or means they're wrong 100% of the time. And so the question is, how wrong are they this time and in what direction? I think that the uh, uh, rate hikes stop in the first half, probably at the end of Q1 or early Q2. And I think that when they when they realize uh, how bad it is and how bad the, the, the bond markets are and the disconnect between bond markets and their guidance, uh, they're going to be forced to, to lower and quantitative easing will resume either summer or, or late this year, uh, maybe. But I that's my base case right now. And like I said, their guidance is always wrong, always. Yeah. And it's not a this is not me basically, you know, being sarcastic. It, it is basically a historical fact. If yeah, you, for years they were yeah, saying that it was transitory or like they were saying inflation was transitory, then it came out to be and it's not transitory. And now, you know, the same thing that they're saying their actions are good. I'm guessing they believe that they have um, enough power that if they if something happens, they can just inject, you know, the market with a bunch of money. And you know, so. yeah, I think it's partially like, hey, the public can't handle the truth. So so we've got to basically set the tone that we're willing to do whatever it takes from a political perspective. But it doesn't really jive with reality in terms of where prices are headed. Uh, housing is is a lagging indicator, uh, and and I think that is falling off a cliff based upon what I'm seeing. And uh, you know, once that catches up and they understand how far they've overshot the mark, it will already be too late. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I guess as a follow up question on that, because that, you know, the fact that all this stuff is happening in the macro environment is still affecting, you know, is affecting everything and including crypto because it's a risk asset. Do you ever see a scenario where or what do you think would happen to where there's like a decoupling from crypto assets and global risk assets in general? Like, when do you see that happening? <sighs> Maybe when we have a, a triparty monetary system, you mm. want dollar Bitcoin slash Ethereum for banks. Uh, but we're a few years away from that. Bitcoin is in, or crypto is in early adopter mode, just yeah. like Amazon was in 2000. And our take is is that money supply and, and changes in money supply uh, are going to drive the value of high vol risk on assets for quite a while. Uh, and well, they always will. But in, as it relates to crypto and Bitcoin in particular, uh, it will continue to do so until Bitcoin has achieved a different status, which is is it's it's a true uh, functioning uh, third leg of the monetary system stool, and it hasn't achieved that yet. It's 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 the promise of that that what is that's what gives Bitcoin its value today. The network effects associated with the promise of that. The price getting to trillions of dollars enables the reality of that because you can subdivide it into tiny pieces, move move the Bitcoin around, and you've got a new monetary system that basically is a nice check on governments run amok in the countries like Ukraine and Afghanistan and uh, you know, Argentina and Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I want to move on to our top story today that we kind of um, alluded to in the top of the intro. Uh, so, you know, you would think that following his arrest, we would only be hearing from Sam Bankman-Fried in court or through his lawyers, but that's not been the case. SBF just opened a Substack newsletter. His first entry is titled FTX Premortem Overview. It's his account of what led to the downfall of FTX. The main points are these uh, Bankman-Fried that he didn't steal funds or stash billions away. He blames repeated market crashes in 2022 for seriously hurting Alameda research. 
Research, which was the trading company uh, that he that was connected to him. He says the company has hadn't hedged accordingly for too long. He says Alameda has a sizable margin position on FTX International. You know, uh, recapping all of this is SBF then blames CZ, uh, Binance CEO, for ultimately killing Adam Alameda through a PR campaign and tweets. Uh, and so this in turn has uh, put FTX International to insolvency. This is what he's claiming. He says FTX US was a separate entity and remained solvent. He also continues to maintain that users could have been made whole if only the management installed at the time of bankruptcy waited a few more weeks for extra funding that was supposed to come was supposed to come according to him. Uh, you know, make of all of that of what you will. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged with eight crimes, including wire fraud and money laundering. He awaits trial that's set to begin in October. And his comments come a day after an important announcement from FTX. A lawyer acting for FTX said the company managed to recover more than $5 billion in cash and liquid assets. That's good news, but it's still far from the total estimated liabilities. I mean, Bill, that was just a huge recap of, you know, essentially the story and his view of what's going on. What's your view or how did you how would you frame it up in terms of like how you saw that and like what do you think the effects are there? What are your thoughts? Look, I mean, this guy is going to jail for the rest of his life, most likely. And so I think he has this theory, I'm guessing, that the more uh, of a victim he can paint himself and mm. put himself in the same bucket as his clients, maybe uh, the better off he, he looks when this gets to court. But look, the bottom line is, is that if you're an exchange, a spot exchange, you should have 100% of client reserves 100% of the time. He didn't. So yeah. there's nothing, there's no blog post, there's nothing you can do to change the fact that the money is not there. And they're having to go out and sell other assets to bridge the gap, right? Yeah. So these $5 billion worth of assets that, that we're hearing about materialized, right, post-bankruptcy. If they were there before the bankruptcy, we wouldn't be having this discussion and Bitcoin would be at 25,000. So, so it's, 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 it's all nonsense. <laughs> and I think it's wag the dog stuff predicated on the idea that he has all this free time between now and October while his lawyers figure out how to keep him out of jail for the rest of his life. And he's basically going to try to paint himself in a similar kind of victimhood light, which makes no sense. There should be no relationship. He talks about the effects of, of Alameda being insolvent on FTX. Well, the, the very, I, that statement shouldn't be possible. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you're even making that statement is, a, is effectively an admission of guilt. It shouldn't be possible. So, so I, I don't understand why his lawyers aren't telling him, hey, you're not helping yourself by basically admitting that the effects of Alameda's insolvency are affecting FTX. Alameda is effectively a hedge fund. You can make whatever stupid bet you want via your own hedge fund. But as soon as you start making those bets with another effectively bank's money or money transmitter's money, you have a major legal problem. And, and there's nothing that he can do that's going to mask that problem going forward. Absolutely. Well, it's important to note that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried has been charged. While he has been charged, he's not convicted yet. He's innocent until proven gu guilty. The legal process must run its course. But with everything you said, Bill, you know, I mean, it's like, and I think I've heard you say this before, he's claiming willful, willful ignorance. And it's not something that, I mean, you, you don't want, it's kind of like, oh, I, I didn't know. I was kind of incompetent at that. And it just, it, it, it does seem a, a bit, um, 
you know, like it's just an excuse. And I'm not sure how people could still want to follow or back him. But again, you know, it's he's not been convicted yet. He's innocent until sure. proven guilty. He's admitted, so. Well, he's admitted his guilt publicly. He's just done it in a way where he's trying to claim willful ignorance. And that doesn't work as a bank or a money transmitter or e-money company. That That is not a a, uh, a valid uh, claim for anything yeah. <laughs> except being stupid. Uh, and, and, and so that's where we're at. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, another player that's kind of been in the news around the same time, you know, in this this whirlwind with FTX has been uh, DCG and Genesis. And I do want to ask your thoughts about DCG and Genesis. But first, I kind of want to start with uh, we were taking a look at their portfolio and we noticed that, you know, in their portfolio, they had mentioned that they have Abra as part of their portfolio. I'm not sure if that means that they have invested or if they you received yeah. some funding from them. And I was wondering if you could uh, clarify your exposure with uh, DCG and Genesis. Sure. So DCG was an early angel investor in mm -hmm. Abra, I think going back to 2016, maybe, if I have the year right. Mm -hmm. they don't, I don't think they invest more than 200 to 500,000 in any one company. And they have a massive portfolio, almost like a venture index fund, if you will, of the crypto space. Mm -hmm. uh, they've invested in exchanges all over the world. I don't think they invested in FTX, but I'm not sure. I may have gotten that wrong. Uh, but but a lot of our international exchange friends, they've, they, they also funded. And again, it's mostly outside LP money. Um, and, and it's some pretty well-known uh, FIs, I think, are LPs in the fund. Uh, that's the extent of, of our involvement with, with DCG. I've known Barry for, for a while. I think, uh, you know, look, Barry comes from the securities industry. He's not a stupid guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, I think he understands exactly the situation they're in. Mm -hmm. I, think, I, I think eventually he'll, he'll do the right thing. I think he had some um, incorrect beliefs as to how this might have played out in mm -hmm. December and that he could wash his hands of, of maybe Genesis's woes. Mm -hmm. And I think he sees now that that's not going to happen and that basically the, the courts will most likely see them as intertwined entities because of the, you know, the fact that it's a 100% owned subsidiary, uh, there's lending relationships between DCG and Genesis, et cetera, et cetera. And so I do think that this will get worked out, even if there is a bankruptcy of Genesis, because if it doesn't, I think Barry's personal assets are tied up for years. Yeah. Uh, guessing most of his net worth is, I have no idea, but I'm guessing most of his net worth is in DCG and crypto. And if that ends up tied for years, effectively he's worthless. And, and, and from, a, from a personal net worth perspective, uh, and and he doesn't want that. I'm sure yeah, absolutely. It's been a tough situation indeed for for Barry and for uh, for Genesis. Just has it's been a tough situation for a lot of you know lenders in the space. And mm -hmm. you know, Abra is one of the few CFI lenders that kind of have avoided this whole mess. At least I haven't seen you guys in the headlines. I mean, to my knowledge, it seems like you guys have avoided that whole mess. And I'm curious. You know, I feel like it speaks volumes about the leadership there, right, and how you guys are running things there. And I'm curious if you could share, like, what what has set you apart? How have you guys avoided that mess? Is it risk management, or what what are you guys doing over there? That's sure. your secret sauce. Yeah, it's definitely risk management uh, first and foremost. Uh, you don't put all your eggs in one basket, as they say. That's that's kind of the layman's way of of explaining concentration risk. So if my mother was to explain what does it mean to not have concentration risk as a prime or or, or a lender, uh, you don't take your lending book and lend it to one company. Uh, and if you're generating yield uh, through security offering, for example, you 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 don't generate the yield through one offering. And if you look at the companies that died, most of them or have shut down or stopped paying withdrawals, most of them had to do that because they had all their eggs in one basket. And that basket turned out to have a, a very, very leaky floor uh, and to the point where the floor collapsed and, and we know what happened. And so 
Um, and then there's other aspects to this in terms of duration risk. I think Celsius had some issues there. And duration risk basically means, okay, if I enable real-time withdrawals or monthly withdrawals or quarterly withdrawals, do the loans or the investments I'm making to generate the yield match to that from a duration perspective? Meaning if I don't get my money back from investments I'm making on your behalf for 18 months, that's a problem if you're processing withdrawals in real time. And so so there's a bunch of factors that go into risk onboarding counterparties. You know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we saw some of the nonsense going on with Alameda trying to use FTT tokens as collateral. And, and we just said, hey, look, this makes no sense to us. Stop it and go away. And, and so um, and, and other similar things that we did and we really migrated to more of a TradFi lending book, which in English means that most of the counterparties that we've dealt with since the beginning of last year have been in the traditional finance space. And honestly, everybody else who wasn't traditional finance, maybe crypto native, is more of a hangover for contracts that haven't expired. And then most of those have been churned out as well. So so uh, the balance sheet of our counterparties is very, very strong. Right. And, and that's the way it should be. We're not in the business of taking directional risk or risk on the viability of, of a counterparty. That's not yeah. our risk. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, as we're speaking about Abra, um, you know, I think it was in September or maybe October where you guys had um, announced some news that you guys were going to launch the first U.S. regulated crypto uh, bank mm -hmm. in the Q1 of this year. We just spoke about the macro environment. We spoke about all this stuff with FTX. So obviously, there's been so many developments since then. Are you guys still planning on launching yeah. that this year? Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so we spoke. Uh, you know, our lawyers are constant contact with the regulator. It's it's a it's a very long process, which started long before the announcement. By the way, uh, mm -hmm. there's a long set of negotiations in terms of services you can offer via the license and, and financial requirements. Uh, you know, physical requirements in the jurisdiction that we're launching in, et cetera, et cetera. And the feedback was, hey, look, the reason that we set up this licensing model was to prevent stuff like this from happening in the first place. You know, looking back at the contagion and the fraud and everything else this year, right? So so we welcome companies now to set up shop as fully licensed banks or special purpose banks or or, or, or trusts even. Uh, we're, we're going the full banking route, not the trust route, but, but it makes perfect sense. If you're a trusted third party in a space that was predicated on the idea of, of, of personal agency, then you have special... Uh, uh, obligations and responsibilities around transparency, full disclosure, uh, being regulated, et cetera, et cetera, and being committed to the tenets of personal agency, which means, hey, if you're in a trading account which has full reserves, you have 24-7 access to your stuff, and you should be able to withdraw it to that ledger wallet whenever you want. And and we firmly believe that, and, we're, and, and we want to be a, a public, fully regulated bank and then have the disclosures, have all the information out there, and then at the same time, give people access to DeFi Rails, which we believe represents the future of banking. 
Yeah, DeFi Rails and Ledger. It's funny that you mentioned that because I've also I wanted to get your thoughts on I guess self custody as well and like where you land on that spectrum because I think you know self custody is I mean right now if you if if someone tries to use a ledger it's really really hard to for someone to be able to to do that it's really complicated right and so it makes sense for you know for people just to hold their assets on a centralized platform and I'm curious how you're seeing that um, that yep. whole self custody thing yeah right so so. This is an extension of the last comment I made, which is that it is essential if you're a trusted third party to be committed to oversight, transparency, protections, and whatever goes into being a bank, whether it's the Wells Fargo type of bank or the the, the, the Western Union type of bank as a remittance company, whatever. All right. So let's let's talk about self custody now. So to me, managing your own assets in the in in the crypto sphere, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever, is is a spectrum of incentives, right, and motivation. If you're in a war zone, if you're in the Ukraine, right, your motivation and incentives to hold your own Bitcoin, hold your own Ethereum are, and stable coins are incredibly high, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You just, it is a practical reality that you don't trust anyone right now. And so you're going to learn quickly how to use a hardware wallet or paper wallet or a phone-based non-custodial wallet, whatever you're doing that represents the least risk to those assets in that moment. On the other hand, if you're in the US and you're using Bitcoin as an insurance policy against the monetary system that's facing the fourth turning, then mm, you kind of get where this is headed, but you're probably not overly motivated and incentivized to understand the nuances of what I talked about vis-a-vis -vis the Ukraine. So yeah. you're probably okay with a, you know, a crypto bank like Abra where you know it's it's safe, um, your funds are protected. You can leave it in the trading account, access them 24/7. Uh, if you want to earn yield, you can do that. If you're an accredited investor, et cetera, et cetera. But your incentives to actually go the whole nine yards and understand self custody are minimal. And that's true for 95% of the public, even yeah. if they are libertarian leaning like me and and understand where the monetary and banking systems are headed. Their incentives to self custody are very very low. Okay. That makes sense. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, except in places where we have war zones, Argentina's of the world, Turkey's, where their incentives are totally different from ours. Right. And I, I completely agree with that. I do feel like, uh, like for like like people with a libertarian belief, and which I feel like is probably the core group that of people that are you know that are interested in crypto, or at least a huge portion of it. I mean, they're going to, um, you know, err towards self custody. But I would think that for like my friends who just barely dabble with crypto, or like my mom who kind of gets into crypto, she's not going to really want to use the ledger. She's going to want to, you know, have a, a a platform like like Abra or another one to be able yeah. to have the, you know, because it's easier. You know, they don't have to. Work Worry about sending the address. I think like something like Coinbase, you can just put a cell phone number and to send your. Yeah. If you, yeah, it's super easy and it makes it. Send much money more. between Abra users, just like Venmo. Yeah. You can also you know move crypto off to a hardware wallet when you want to. You can connect your bank account, dollar cost average in, and it's just it's the bank account of the future. The the key difference, pardon the pun, to the bank account of the future is going to be. Do I have personal agency over my assets when I'm ready? Yeah. Right. And and if a company like Abra is enabling that, you're good to go. Anybody who says we don't enable withdrawals, you got to wait 24 hours, big red flag. Yeah.
big red flag. Well, for time purposes, I do got to move on to a, a few of these other stories here. Uh, so the other story here that we're following is about crypto lex uh, lender Nexo. Uh, Bulgarian authorities say they're in investigating alleged illegal activity at Nexo. 15 sites in the Bulgarian capital were raided. A spokeswoman for the prosecutor's office said, quote, it has been established that the main organizers of the international platform are Bulgarian citizens and the main acti activities are from Bulgarian territory, close quote. They are investigating the, set the setting up of an organized crime group, tax crimes, money laundering, banking activity without a license and computer fraud. Nexus said in a seemingly related Twitter thread that, quote, unfortunately, with the re recent regulatory crackdown on crypto, some regulators have recently adopted the kick first, ask questions later approach. In corrupt countries, it is bordering with racketeering, but that too shall pass, close quote. For the sake of full transparency, Nexo has been an advertiser of Real Vision in the past. And finally, uh, the, the next story Decrypt reports El Salvador has passed new crypto-friendly legislation. Lawmakers approved a digital securities bill that also paves the way for the issuance of Bitcoin bonds, known as volcano bonds. The bill's aim is to create legal protection for transfers or issuance of debt with cryptocurrencies. El Salvador wants to eventually use Bitcoin bonds to pay sovereign debt and fund the construction of the proposed Bitcoin city. The bill separates cryptocurrencies from all other assets and financial products, including CBDC, central bank digital currencies. Notably, it also separates Bitcoin from the rest of the crypto market, identifying them as digital securities, which is interesting. Uh, the bill now needs to be signed by President Nayib Bukele, who has voiced his support on Twitter. What do you make of that uh, El Salvador news, uh, Bill? Is that is there anything to get excited about? Look, it's interesting. I think um, when half of the money raised is going to Bitcoin and the other half is going to infrastructure, if you if you if you you know if the volcano bond turns out to be the first implemented implemented bond, you, you know you, I don't even know where to start. Look, so first of all, what's going to happen to the price of the underlying? Right. right? I mean, Bitcoin could be at five thousand for years if they do the issuance at twenty-five thousand. That doesn't yeah. mean Bitcoin is a bad investment long term. It just means that they timed it wrong, wrong from a from a collateralization perspective, right? So, so there are clearly risks here that people need to understand, and we also don't understand fully that if Bitcoin price becomes depressed, whether this is a levered bet on the same thing. Meaning, investing in mining via volcanoes. Mm -hmm. is a levered bet on Bitcoin and the other half of the bet is buying Bitcoin. <laughs> so, so you know, if, if Bitcoin goes to 60,000, it will turn out that they made a good levered bet. If Bitcoin stays at 5,000 for five years, which I don't expect to happen, but I also am not issuing bonds that making a bet one way or the other that that's going to happen, right? So, so right. I, I think it's a, look, if the public wants this, and they can afford to make the bet, it's a very interesting play. Yeah. I think the security holders of, of this play need to understand that this is not a traditional bond. The IMF is not going to backstop this. There is no uh, uh, payer of last resort. You're on your own. And if you support this model of Bitcoin and governments getting into this, which I think it's a very interesting test, and I'm, I'm kind of glad they're doing it. Um, but I think the people who are investing in this need to understand that unlike traditional bonds, there is no backstop. Government, yeah. I mean, there's no backstop. And if you're okay with that, then it's an interesting bet. Uh, and I and I, I think we'll see more examples of this over time. El Salvador is interesting because they don't have their own currency. 
Yeah. Right. So so other governments would be hard pressed to re replicate this model if they're not dollar backed. Right. El Salvador's motivation to not be dependent upon the U.S. Uh, is is unique in the region. Yeah, absolutely. So it's I mean, it's a risky bet, right? If they get the if they get it right, then it's it could play out really nicely for them. If they get it wrong, uh, it could be bad for them. And uh, and yeah, so I guess speaking about that and maybe in, in terms of like just in, in the level of excitement, because some people might see this as, as exciting news. As, you know, you you as as uh, you know, working for Abra, our leader in the space, you probably are more to, you know, honed in onto what things are emerging. Are there any projects or any type of areas that are really particularly exciting for you this year? Yeah, I'm I'm personally less interested in government involvement in crypto, like yeah. the CBDC stuff, central bank digital currency stuff scares me because mm -hmm. it's like an invitation for uh, government surveillance, right? Yeah. And so I'm more interested in the future of DeFi, meaning getting governments out of the banking business, the future of Bitcoin, getting governments out of the money business, and basically saying we have separation of church and state. Why don't we have separation of money and state? Money wasn't always a government-based phenomenon. So I want to see how we're going to replace banking rails with DeFi rails, how we're going to replace lending, securities, and other markets with decentralized finance in the same way that we've started to see some of these new kind of exchanges and liquidity pools, very early examples of DeFi services that have no off switch, uh, that uh, have no border, uh, that seem to be functioning independent of what's happening with cases of fraud and, and, and other uh, centralized actor issues that we've seen, right? Bitcoin continues to create blocks. Ethereum continues to validate transactions uh, and the DeFi contracts running on it continue to process transactions themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think something else that uh, is particularly exciting that I want to also get your thoughts on that may not necessarily be related to crypto, but it, it's just something that's just been, uh, you know, taking the world by storm. Every influencer is talking about it, and that's AI. Uh, you know, ChatGPT has been everywhere in the news lately, or in every, like I said, every YouTube channel is covering Great. it. And I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on on AI and how it's going to impact not just the, the the world in general, but also crypto, because, you know, there's like really interesting tools. I mean, you have like Dolly too, which is an, uh, and I think mid journey, which, you know, generates thing, you know, images from AI. And then obviously with the, with chat GPT, you can write code and I can envision some type of world where maybe people are, you know, having a dream about it, like an NFT. And then they put that dream in the in Dolly and it, it you know it generates the image and then they get the they write the code through chat GPT and I think it's going to enable a huge thing I think it can you know really uh transform everything I'm curious to hear though what you think about it and how you think it's going to impact the industry so so this is a technology that has been growing exponentially yeah now let's assume that that continues let's process mm -hmm. the math on what that means because in, in some sense, it's like I used to, when I was in my NASA days, I used to work on these big supercomputers bigger than the room that I'm standing in, you know, companies like Cray and others. And, and now they've shrunk to the size of, a, of, a, of an iPhone, where iPhone actually has more capability and more power than those computers did. Let's yeah. put that in the context of, of the improvements to ChatGPT and other machine learning AI systems. They are effectively doubling in capability every couple of, every few months. Yeah. So so they're saying that version four, right, we're at version three right now, is going to be even more than 2x better than what we're seeing now. And look, if you keep playing that out over the next 10 years, you have some level of sentience. 
that that probably can't be denied and and, yeah. and, it's, and it's scary yeah. because humans have never had to cope with this before and yeah. and i as a technologist i'm utterly fascinated by it but i'm also fascinated by the societal impacts of having to come to terms with systems it's not smarter than us now it may have more knowledge in certain areas because of its knowledge machine learning capabilities but it will be able to reason in two generations in a way that most people can't that is unbelievable and and something that we kind of all knew was coming yeah. but until it hits you over the head like a brick it, it's it's very hard to get your arms around what it means to have a machine that you can't see be able to reason better than you can we don't have that right now but we're at the rate it's improving we're less than two generations away from from that happening and wow and and so the implications for finance for trading for pub, for markets not to mention everyday life you know google is why, why search on google when you have to click through to find the answer when it's actually giving you an answer may not be the answer but an answer in real time and and that's what we're faced with as a society now it's incredible Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, like you said, it gives you an answer, not the answer. Because I, one of the funny things that I that I came come across, like when I, you know, look on on Twitter or like people are talking about it, is that like it sometimes gives you gives you an answer very confidently that it's the right answer and it's not always right. But again, like you said, this is the first iteration and this is going to evolve in so many ways. Like you said, GPT four is going to be double. I mean, at some point, GPT forty will exist, right? And that I can only imagine how you know incredible that's going to be for, or it, it's going to be. Maybe Maybe it's, it's kind of scary, but also kind of really, really interesting and exciting. So I can only imagine how that's going to turn out. Well, I think I think we're, I don't know, 10 years probably. I keep throwing out 10 years. It's a little too easy to say 10 years. We're, we're some number of small number of generations away from that being integratable with the brain, which yeah. means that we have kind of a, a sense of each other, the AI yeah. and the human brain, which basically gives us that knowledge base in real time as well as a sense of awareness of everyone around us. And mm -hmm. so that's the integration of IT and and power and, and these type of, of, of neural machine learning networks and human biology. And, and that's coming the same way that we went from the Cray supercomputers the size of this room to an iPhone. It's almost guaranteed because it's just playing out Moore's law. That's all this is. It just continues yeah. to play out Moore's law like we have since the seventies, which is what's led to this whole decentralization movement that we are living in today. It's just a natural offshoot of computing power getting uh, more and more powerful and cheaper at the same time.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, so now it's nearly time for viewer questions, Bill. But before that, for those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to get early access to Real Vision crypto content. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. That way you'll never miss when we go live. Um, this first question for you, Bill, is uh, from Charles White on YouTube. He's asking, would Bill please talk about the governance regarding their crypt customers' crypto assets? And then he adds to that, FTX appears to have not had a functional governance system for custody assets in place. What are your thoughts so, on that, Bill? Yeah, as a centralized entity, we're not DeFi. I'm not sure what he means by governance, but I'll tell you how our oversight works. So, so we report to dozens of regulators, state, federal, international. Uh, we have a board of directors at the holding company level. Uh, we have quarterly board meetings. We give them interim updates and we have a risk management uh, committee and the risk committee basically oversees any um, allocation of, of assets within um, the yield or lending uh, sphere. And so there's an onboarding process there uh, via the onboarding team and then they take their results to the risk committee who then um, is able to make decisions based upon do we allocate what size, what are the the quotas and lending limits, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's a lot there that we and we continue to to build on that uh, and and learn constantly uh, over over many years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, the ne next question we have here is from uh, King Cobes, I believe, not Kobe's, but Cobes in our Discord server. He says, Bill, I have an Abra account and the app, but never used it. Wondering whether I ever should. You've set out why you're different and avoided the pitfalls of others. What do you see as the biggest risks? Is, should, is there anything that should worry us? Um, I think the, the biggest risks are, you know, are we disclosing that and being clear that trading accounts are separate from other accounts? And I go on shows like this and talk about it all the time that, uh, you know, if you have your money in Abra Trade and not in Abra Boost, you have 24-7 access to the funds. And so I have you know money in both and I'll, I'll continue to operate that way. And any money that I need, that I need real time access to stays on the trade side. And that is uh, uh, regulated via uh, money transmitter uh, laws and rules, uh, which require 100 percent reserves. And, and so, you know, not doing that when you claim that you are is fraud. Yeah, absolutely. I think more specifically, I guess the question was also asking like what would cause if there's anything that you think could cause trouble at all, like in terms of yeah, be problem. I'm not sure if there's anything that you see currently in general. I mean, but. look, we've been at this for years. Mm -hmm. We've never lost uh, client funds via Abertrade. We've never had a security breach. Mm -hmm. um, we've always maintained 100% reserves in our trading accounts, and uh, which really looks more like a bank account, honestly, than a trade account, the way it's set up. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just it's just worked for millions of clients. Yeah, you've taken. I'm guessing you guys have taken like steps to like really secure uh, user response. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've yeah. had security audits. We work with trusted uh, custodians, a la you know like companies like Fireblocks and and, and Bitgo, who are really good at this, and um, we're fully committed to that model. Awesome. Well, this next question comes from Old Man Bills Bitcoin on YouTube. Which layer two for Bitcoin do you like the most? I think the only layer one I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah. well, you could you could claim that PayPal is is a layer two for Bitcoin or 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 Abra is a layer two for for Bitcoin, uh -huh. but I think that I think the premise of the question was more about Lightning, and yeah. and look, I think that Lightning is something I'm very excited about. I've talked about this publicly many times. I mm -hmm. think it it's showing great promise. 
it's not ready to scale to uh, Venmo or Square Cash or you know WeChat Pay uh, numbers yet, but the promise is there. I think we need to see some more evidence that the economic incentives for Lightning Node operators will work at scale. I'm seeing a lot of work in that area, and meaning that there does seem to be a base case for kind of a, a yield on Bitcoin via Lightning channels, uh, which could be the safe safe haven yield for, for Bitcoin at some point when it sets up to scale. Uh, and, and so it really is the only kind of decentralized scaling solution at this point that I'm really paying attention to for Bitcoin. Now, Ethereum has a lot more competition in this area, and I think that's great. I wish Bitcoin had a little bit more competition in this area, but but it is what it is. And um, I, I do think that the development over 2022 for Lightning was super interesting, and it's taking way longer than people thought. I mean, scaling um, without increasing the block size is a very complicated undertaking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looks like we have a um, another question here from Lord uh, Scott XRP. Can you see XRP playing a role in the banking system? I guess that's a kind of a tough question to ask. So I, I, maybe just general thoughts on XRP in general. Yeah, to me, XRP is tied to Ripple, the company, mm -hmm. and uh, I think Ripple is fully committed to banking solutions, as I understand it today. I don't really pay that much attention. I think they're out pitching central bank digital currency solutions and other uh, models, uh, but I haven't seen anything at this point, um, you know, that basically says to me, oh, XRP is definitely going to be used here or here. I haven't seen it. So yeah. it may happen in the future, but so far I'm not seeing it. Absolutely. Another uh, question slash comment um, from Ask NW Clips on YouTube. He said, uh, and I'm guessing he's he's supposing, say, let's integrate. If supposing we integrate ChatGPT to trading protocols at Abra, so that we can use it to trade futures, what could go wrong? Well, I, I think if you see companies start to try to give trading advice yeah. using automated systems that are early and unproven, that would be scary. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't see a company like Abra doing that soon. Mm -hmm. I could see it happening in the future in terms of things like asset allocation, right? Like like uh, like robot investing, robo investing services that may be more intelligent than people over time. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me. I think you'll see proprietary funds start to integrate chat GPT like capabilities into real time decisioning, mm -hmm. uh, which makes a lot of sense uh, as they can. But um, I think we're still super, super early. And, and, and so doing things now means a lot would go wrong. And, and so we're going to basically evolve um, with the technology. Yeah. By the way, I think I heard a doorbell. I, I just want to make sure that you're good on time and everything. I'm, Are we good? <laughs> I'm good. I have no idea what that was. I'm sure someone else will, uh, will check it. Yeah. No worries. Okay, so one last question. This was a follow-up from Charles White. He said, clarification, who can move – crypto assets and how is that controlled at Abra? Uh, in Abra trade, the consumer moves crypto assets, meaning you direct what happens. Uh, and uh, those are uh, managed with 100% reserves. And on the Abra boost, where you basically are earning yield, the, uh, the team that manages those investments uh, directs the funds to determine uh, where, where they land. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, this uh, this was a fascinating conversation today, Bill. Uh, I'd like to get your final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd have for our viewers uh, before we wrap the show up. 
Yeah, look, I think this is the year of um, you know reflection on how we got here. I think that uh, so many kind of bad actors, over-levered actors, uh, people who were committing fraud have, have disappeared. And I think that's good. The, the flushing was of uh, the great flushing, if you will, was necessary. And, um, you know, the plumbing uh, that's remaining, I think, is uh, DeFi. It is Bitcoin and it's going to work. It has been. It's proven itself. I think we're going to see tremendous investments in those areas, scaling Bitcoin via Lightning, scaling Ethereum via Layer 2s, building out the new banking system via DeFi. Um, how are NFTs going to integrate themselves into everyday lives to, to become truly digital collectibles and other uh, kind of digital uh, assets uh, beyond just the, the the complicated terminology of NFTs? I think that's what we're going to see more of in in 23, and and less of the uh, the grift that uh, and and contagion that we saw before. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, I would say probably my biggest takeaway um, from our conversation is risk management is important. And if you do things right, you can 100%. stay a player in the, in the space. So yep. anyways, uh, thanks for coming on the show, Bill. Uh, it's a pleasure having you on with us. Before I let you go, how can viewers keep up with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, Bill Barheit, easy to find. Uh, I, I know you guys linked to me before the show. And Abra.com is the best place to get started with Abra. And we're very active online. The support team is online. The, the product marketing team is online. Uh, we're very easy to find. I'm always answering questions when I can. Uh, I'm not online all day, but I, I, I try to spend a little bit of time on social media. And we're very easy to find. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Bill. Always a pleasure. Great to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, anyways, for the viewers out there, if you're watching on YouTube and you're not a Real Vision Crypto subscriber yet, don't forget it's free. Head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and subscribe and hit the notification bell here on YouTube for good measure as well. That way you always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. That's it for today's show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Perry Ann Boring from the Chamber of Digital Commerce will join us live. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.